This episode is brought to you by Perfect Keto. Perfect Keto keto-friendly snacks and supplements are packed with quality ingredients that provide sustained energy to fuel your body and mind. Using strictly high-quality ingredients and no garbage means you're going to skip any unnecessary spikes to your blood sugar and you'll feel great for hours. I think Perfect Keto has the highest quality supplements for the ketogenic diet and I use their ketones for both physical and cognitive performance. They also have amazing MCT powder that you can add to your coffee as well as collagen powder that's great for the skin. Perfect Keto has a limited time offer for you. If you buy one of their products, you can get one for 40% off with the code SEAM40. So head over to perfectketo.com forward slash SEAM40 and let's get on with the show. I think that, I think that you know, there's tons of studies and, and work being done in stem cells right now. Um, it's one of those things that I think we'll, we'll continue to hear more and more about because there's so many different applications from, you know, you can grow, they're growing organoids, you know, little organs in the lab now, um, which is a whole different thing than what I do. But, you know, they're using stem cells, the idea that you have these cells that are actually capable of replicating and making more of themselves in a way that the most cells are not, um, using those cells to help repair our bodies, it makes total sense. And I think we'll definitely be seeing more do you want to know what it is body mind empowerment get stronger faster smarter quicker friendlier more helpful more driven everything the body needs control your mind welcome to the body mind empowerment podcast i'm your host seamland and our guest today is dr amy killen dr amy is both certified in emergency medicine with over 10 years of patient care She's been practicing anti-aging and regenerative medicine for more than five years. Dr. Amy, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was uh, great to meet you in person at the uh, London Health Optimization Summit. So, but we didn't have like a lot of time to uh, talk. So I was figured I'm going to have you have to have you on my podcast so we can go into more detail about all these different topics that you cover. And, uh, you know, you, you do cover like quite a lot of different topics. So uh, how did you get into this field in the first place? And uh, how did you kind of bring them all together? So I was actually an emergency medicine doctor uh, for about 10 years. And, and then towards the end of that, I, I started sort of seeing that I had patients coming in over and over again with chronic medical problems that I wasn't really able to do anything for. And at the same time, I had a lot of stuff going on with my own life where I was uh, just under a lot of stress, not taking care of myself. So I started learning about um, kind of integrative medicine and longevity medicine and eventually ended up quitting emergency medicine and, and focusing entirely on this this new field. Um, and as I was doing this, this uh, integrative medicine, I had a lot of patients that would come to me and ask me for help improving um, either their skin or their sexual function. And so over time, I was like, well, I got to learn about these things. And so I started learning about those things. And now that's kind of my focus. I focus on primarily on skin and sexual health um, and using integrative therapies as well as regenerative therapies and other things to kind of take care of those systems. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, so true in the sense that uh... Uh, a lot of people are very, you know, you know, with the with the uh, new science and new technology we have, like a lot of uh, people have access to these kinds of uh, uh, medical care, especially related to anti-aging and longevity, so on. Uh, but uh, I would yeah. like to, yeah, I would like to cover them, like uh, all of them, but that would be like uh, too too long of a podcast. So we're gonna have to like do like the you know, basics and fundamentals of each and every one of them. So uh, okay. <laughs> maybe let's uh, start off with uh, like the hormones. And there is a lot of talk about how hormones either like they make you fat, they make you moody and so on. So how do, how do, you, yes. how do, you, how do you go about uh, optimizing your hormones then? 
So, so I do bioidentical hormones, which is basically replacing your hormones with the horm you know, with other hormones that are the exact same molecules as the ones that you already have. So whether that's estrogen or progesterone, testosterone, et cetera. Um, I only use bioidentical, which I think is very important because some of the um, other other versions are actually made from uh, you know things like 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 equine urine, like horse urine is used to make some of the other over the counter uh, um, estrogens and, and things. So so anyway, so I I use those kinds of hormones, and then we do we do some extensive testing, either blood testing or you can use urine or saliva testing to see what levels are. Um, just as important, if not more so, is the symptoms. You know, are, what kind of symptoms are you having, um, especially for women, because women go through their hormones are. So they're fluctuating so much depending on kind of where they are in life. Um, a lot of the hormones may show um, one thing, but their symptoms may show something else. So we kind of have to use both symptoms and, and the hormone levels to decide if they're a good candidate for hormone therapy. And that, you know, if so, then we kind of start with low doses and we'll taper up depending on how they respond. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's so true in a sense. You know, you mentioned a few of them like uh, estrogen and so on. Uh, that's that's the essentially the female hormone uh, as opposed to the testosterone. Yeah, although so both so testosterone is certainly more pre uh, prevalent in men, but men do have estrogen as well. They have some, and actually, it's important for men also to have some estrogen. Um, it can be it's important for bone health and and cognitive health and some other things. So you don't want it to be totally you know all the way zero. But testosterone is by far the most common hormone for men, and as you probably know, uh, and most men I think now know that after age forty or so, uh, men's testosterone level tends to drop um, by about one percent per year. So it you know it goes down over time, and, and testosterone is important for everything from sex drive to you know keeping your uh, your muscle mass up to keeping your fat down to keeping your brain working to cardiovascular health um, it's very important really for all the systems um, in a man's body so it's something that I, I, you know when it starts to go down I have a lot of patients who really will start to suffer a lot from you know just vague things like lack of motivation and weight gain and and, and all of that in addition to the things like you know problems with sex drive and sexual dysfunction um, and then for women you know women actually also have testosterone it's just they don't have as much as men they have about a tenth as much as men uh, but testosterone for women is also important as is estrogen and progesterone some of the other hormones that women have mm -hmm. yeah and as i understand like there's actually like so some of the epidemic in terms of uh, the how high men testosterone is uh, like the general mean and it's been declining for like several decades and uh, like most mm -hmm. men suffer from like low testosterone yeah it's very interesting it's in the last 50 years or so men's testosterone levels have yeah you're totally right the the, the total the normal the normal testosterone levels have gone down over time so the mean is, is quite lower than it used to be um and, and same thing with fertility you know men's fertility has also gone down sperm counts things like that um and, and you know we don't know exactly why but it's probably a combination of environmental factors and, and toxins as well as you know we're becoming more overweight we're becoming more unhealthy we have, we have more diabetes and obesity and, and all of those things also cause your testosterone to go down so you know whether it's a chicken or an egg with testosterone and those things we don't know but it's definitely contributing uh to us not being very healthy mm, yeah, yeah that's for sure uh you know what how would you go about uh fixing it or you know bringing it back to balance so I usually start with lifestyle, uh, and, and I do a lot of education with uh, with male patients about things that they can do on their own to increase testosterone. And there's a whole lot of things. You know, it's beginning with exercise, in both weight training exercises as well as uh, as cardiovascular exercise can help increase testosterone. Um, that, you know, making sure you're getting enough protein and branch chain amino acids, making sure you get enough of the, the minerals and hormones like like vitamin D and zinc and selenium and some of the things that your body needs to make testosterone uh, is important. Um, getting sunlight is 
is really important for testosterone. Mm-hmm. You can actually increase testosterone just by going outside for 10 minutes, you know, every few mm-hmm. days to get some sunlight. Um, having sex can increase testosterone. So there are a lot of things you can do on your own. Um, but if that fails, then, then there are medications that we use uh, like testosterone or other, other medications that can actually stimulate your own production, um, like Clomid or HCG in the United States at least, um, that can help to increase your own production for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like uh, definitely like the first kind of initial response for people is to try to take some sort of a pill or even go on steroids <laughs> to then boot the system. Right. But actually they have to look at like what, yeah, what are the fundamentals, uh, like the basics that are actually making me become uh, deficient in testosterone and uh, try to optimize those. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even just losing weight, you know, if you're overweight and you have some extra fat, then you, if you lose weight, then that will help increase your testosterone. If you get your blood sugar under control, that will help increase testosterone. Um, on the flip side, if we can, and, you know, some of those patients, they have a really hard time losing weight and, and getting, you know, their, their diabetes under control. But if we give them testosterone, um, sometimes that actually will help them to be able to lose weight because all of a sudden they have more energy and more motivation. And when they go to the gym, they're actually building muscle instead of otherwise. So, you know, I, I can see doing it both ways, but certainly I think education is the most important first step, you know, for any of this. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. And, and as I, as you already said that, you know, your testosterone also drops with age and uh, in your later, later life, you're already somewhat, you know, um, suffering from loss of muscle mass, you have less energy, you have uh, increased body mm-hmm. fat, etc. So at that point, you know, the current, like a lot of people use uh, testosterone replacement therapy uh, as an anti-aging uh, method in a way to uh, still experience like the youthfulness, in the, even though they're like later in their life. So uh, do, do you uh, recommend uh, some people to look into that side of, side of the coin as well? I think look into it for sure. I mean, you know, testosterone, there are quite a number of studies. There's, obviously, there's conflicting data out there. But but if you look at the mo- like the biggest studies and the most information, um, we know that men who have low testosterone um, actually have a significantly increased mortality rate, mm-hmm. all-cause mortality. That's cardiovascular disease. That's, you know, diabetes. That's all different things that can, that can cause you to die. If you have very low testosterone, you're at increased risk for all of those things. Um, and um, by the same time, you know, it, it we know the testosterone can help prevent things like like sarcopenia, like you talked about, like muscle mm-hmm. wasting, like osteoporosis, you know, um, cardiovascular disease, some of these other things um, to, the testosterone does besides just help you um, maintain a nice physique and, and sex drive and that kind of thing. It actually can help with all parts of your body system. So, I, you know, I don't think necessarily it's always for everyone, but I definitely think that, um, if, that it's, it's worth getting your testosterone levels checked by your doctor uh, to get a baseline and see where you, where you are now while you're feeling good. And then, you know, as you go through time and you start having symptoms or concerns, you can get those levels rechecked and you can see, you know, how much is my, have, has my level changed and is it, is it appropriate to have that replaced? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, how, how, how big of a role do you think uh, these environmental estrogenics play a role, like plastics and uh, heavy metals and those things? You know, I think it definitely plays a role. I'm not sure that any of us know how big a role. You know, there's so many different environmental uh, toxins and, and, and endocrine disruptors out there, like you mentioned, that that'll, they can mess up all different hormones, including testosterone production. Um, it's one of those things that I think that we're that people are just now finally starting to really look at it and say, oh, wow, that's maybe not the best thing for me. Um, but, you know, there's, it's one of those things that it's, it's very hard to, to fix because it's become system-wide um, using these, all these different chemicals and such. But, but obviously, the better that we become at, at avoiding um, all of these chemicals and just trying to lead as clean a, health as, as clean a life as possible, the, better, the healthier we'll be in the long run. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, like um, you know, you can't really avoid them. You know, one hundred percent, they're going to be part part of the society in a sense that we wouldn't be able to function as a right, like right. progressing society without using like some plastics and such. But yeah, you just have to like be mindful about that they do have an effect. And if you do suffer from like some uh, symptoms of low testosterone and such, then yeah, like try to uh, you know optimize it a little bit further or be more careful than the like a regular person. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Uh, what about uh, women then? Uh, what kind of uh, problems do they tend to have with their hormones? So women, you know, it's all different. So first of all, you know, it, it, as far as the, the hormones in general, both men and women can have like thyroid problems is, are very common, especially as you get older, having less thyroid function. So that's something else that we talk, talk about. But as far as the sex hormones, um, in about the 10 or 15 years before a woman goes through menopause is, is the, what we call perimenopause. And it basically is a time where there's all kinds of hormone variations. Um, most commonly, uh, testosterone levels go down and progesterone levels go down. So you actually have kind of too much estrogen compared to progesterone. And that can cause a lot of problems for women, things like mood swings and and uh, painful periods or heavy periods, uh, lack of sleep or insomnia, irritability, um, weight gain, things like that are, are pretty common during that perimenopause time, as well as uh, you know, difficulty forming muscle and, and low sex drive because of the testosterone piece. Um, and then of course, after menopause, that's when your estrogen levels go really far down. And that's uh, another big change for women. And, and I see, you know, we see changes in everything from from you know brain fog and difficulty sleeping and hot flashes to you know skin changes because estrogen is so important for skin health uh, and maintaining collagen production when, when women lose that at estrogen all of a sudden their skin gets really thin and dry and they age much faster uh, they, they have a lot of changes in their vaginal health as well because of the same kind of thing so it, there's really multiple different stages for women and it's it's you know it can be pretty abrupt it can be like from one day to the next like i was feeling good and all of a sudden i'm feeling miserable <laughs> so it, women are a little more complicated i think as far as you know as far as replacing those hormones um, and deciding like what's actually going on um, but we do have the ability to do that now and it can make a huge difference in in people's lives Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, estrogen itself gets like a bad rep, especially amongst men and uh, even women to a certain extent. So yeah, it has like a, quite a few benefits, like you said, and uh, especially you don't really want to block it completely or you lower it. And the same applies to like testosterone. Like as a woman, uh, you don't have to be worried about testosterone. You actually need it, and you would benefit from it as well. Like you know, it's gonna help you to maintain more lean muscle mass. It's gonna help you to burn some fat as well. You just you, the, the thing is that you're never going to have like these super physiological uh, doses of testosterone produced naturally by a female body and uh, that would you know result in this massive uh, bodybuilder physiques <laughs> you know they're not yeah, gonna, they're not going to be able to do it's pretty rare that. i mean you know there are some things where people there are some situations where women make too much you know make more testosterone than they need and, and you can get certain diseases like polycystic ovarian syndrome and, and things like that where where it's high high doses of testosterone but for the most part you're absolutely right for most women um, they're not making too much testosterone and even if you're even if i'm replacing testosterone and i give them more than they are you know initially kind of used to they're still not generally going to to um, sort of be these, you know, Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger types where they're all bulked yeah. up and like, you know, huge muscles. It really just helps them feel like themselves again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but let's say you mentioned that, uh, you know, some people struggle losing weight because of like low thyroid and other hormones. So uh, how, can a, how can a person, uh, tr- you know, get over this sort of a uh, hump? 
So thyroid is something that, you know, you're going to want to have checked again with your, by your doctor. And one of the limitations that, that we've had in, for, in, in recent years is that most doctors only check one thyroid test, which is called the TSH test, which is thyroid stimulating hormone. It's not actually even a thyroid hormone. It's, a, it's sort of an, up, an upstream um, hormone that's sent to the thyroid. And the problem with, ha- with that is you could have a normal TSH, um, but still have less thyroid function than, than you need or want. Um, so, you know, I always recommend making sure that you're doing sort of full, a full thyroid panel where you're checking free T3 and free T4 and reverse T3 and TSH and, you know, basically all the things because that'll give you a better idea of how the thyroid's actually functioning because um, this is a lot more nuanced than just, you know, a single blood, a single blood test. But, but things like fatigue, difficulty losing weight, loss of concentration, um, thinning, up, thinning of your eyebrows, uh, super dry skin, constipation, all of these can be symptoms of low thyroid thyroid and these become much more common as we get older the thyroid starts to function less efficiently um, in both men and women as we get older mm-hmm. yeah like and also like uh, chronic dieting and uh, trying to uh, lose weight all the time will also downregulate the thyroid and slow down the metal- metabolism so to say because yeah if, if you're co- constantly trying to starve yourself then your body will respond by just you know making sure that it doesn't waste a lot of energy yeah, absolutely. And you can also, when you're doing chronic dieting and kind of yo-yo dieting, something else that happens is your body will make something called reverse T3, which is basically, uh, it's like the anti-thyroid hormone and basically it kind of works against itself. So in people who have chronic illnesses, as well as people who are chronically dieting, um, checking a reverse T3 and seeing if that's high, then that actually is, is, is counteracting the positive effects of regular T3 and is something you need to work on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so that's true. Uh, and I would also, I would actually like to say that, you know, uh, the focus should be more on like just trying to build lean muscle mass uh, because the more muscle mass you have, then you have like higher metabolic rate, you'll have like uh, more testosterone, you'll have just better metabolic flexibility and such. And uh, having more muscle makes it makes the dieting process that much easier. <laughs> so you right. would uh, just have to like uh, go the other way, which at initially may seem counterintuitive, but it actually uh, makes it easier to kind of adhere to it in the long term. Yeah. And I think for women, especially, you know, a lot of women worry about, about gaining too much muscle and looking too, you know, too strong for some reason. Um, but you're totally right. It, it makes you, it makes it easier to lose your fat. And as we get older, especially uh, we become, you know, women in general become at risk for things like, like osteoporosis. Um, and, and one of the big things you can do for that obviously is going to be weight training and keeping those, your bones healthy, your muscles healthy. Um, and so there's so many good reasons to do weight training as a female. And of course the same, same applies for men as well. Mm-hmm. Do you have like any specific diet protocol or uh, some, or, or do you go about it like per individual basis? Um, I, I do. It's really individual. I do think everyone is so different. I, I mean, in general, I, I, I adhere to and I prescribe a low glycemic diet um, for everyone. I think, you know, sugar is sort of the root of all evil. <laughs> um, although I love it, it's still, it's still obviously hor- horrible for us. Um, so low sugar, low, low simple carbohydrates. And, and, and then after that, I, I think that like what you said, like metabolic flexibility, I think also pertains to diets. And I really think that a lot of people do well with, um, with changing their diets up fairly frequently, whether they're doing um, some intermittent fasting, whether they're doing, you know, maybe a keto diet or paleo diet or a vegetarian diet, but maybe, you know, changing it up because your body uh, functions really well when it is, it's forced to get out of its comfort zone, mm-hmm. um, whether that's with diet or with exercise. Uh, it, I think that's true for all things. Yeah. You, you mentioned uh, intermittent fasting. So 
like a, a lot of uh, fear mongering about it is that it's going to just crash your thyroid and it's going to lower your testosterone and make you chronically stressed out. So like, what's your experience uh, with fasting and uh, hormone optimization? You know, I think that fasting is, can be really helpful, especially if you do relatively short fasts. You know, certainly if you do a very long fast, you want to be, then it, it can, it can, change some hormones for a period of time, but it's not going to change them forever. Um, it's, it's all very, uh, very temporary, but you know, I have a lot of patients who will just tell them, you know, do the thing where you only eat for six to eight hours during the day and then fast the rest of the time. And that's, you know, obviously it's pretty easy to do from you eat from noon to eight or noon to six and the rest of the time you, you fast. Um, I, I personally think that's the easiest way to do it, but certainly have uh, patients, especially patients who have uh, chronic medical problems or diabetes or things like that, where they're really working on, getting into that uh, sort of ketosis range uh, where they'll do, you know, three or four or five day fast. And that works for them as well. But I think any fasting and caloric restriction is going to be helpful uh, when you compare it to not doing that. Yeah, I, I agree. Like even some small, you know, compression of the eating window is probably going to be enough. And it's going to give like this hormetic uh, benefit for the, for the entire body. And of course you can overdo it, like going for five day fasts with doing crazy hit cardio and not sleeping. Right. <laughs> that can definitely yeah. become over, overbearing. But yeah, uh, exactly. small, short fasts are perfectly fine. And actually they have like this, they kind of, I, 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 I like to think that they just uh, give this body, give your body like this uh, good nudge or, you know, push it in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I think, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in general, sort of just, again, keeping your, your body guessing about what you're going to do is always a good idea. You know, are you going to be cold? Are you going to be hot? Are you going to be eating? Are you not going to be eating? Are you going to be exercising? Are you going to be resting? Like, just make, kind of tricking your body so it's never super comfortable is is great for it. Yeah, but what about stress? You know, that's, that's also like a pretty uh, predominant amongst people and it definitely has like a negative effect uh, on both testosterone as well as thyroid. Oh yeah, absolutely. Stress is such a huge deal. Um, and that's one of the things, one of the first things I always talk to patients about, you know, uh, there's such a big connection between obviously the mind, the mind body piece is important and that, and that's true for the hormones as well. Uh, high, high cortisol is going to um, offset a lot of the positive benefits of testosterone as well as decrease your testosterone production. Um, so it's really hard to make your own product, your own testosterone and, and have it work if you have high cortisol and high stress over time. Uh, and same thing with thyroid is going to negatively affect your thyroid uh, and your other hormones. So, uh, you know, this sort of, I, I, we, I start small with patients, you know, talking about just adding in maybe five minutes or 10 minutes of, of uh, meditation or, or deep breathing, or just, you know, go to yoga, go for walks, like things like that. I think that people, People hear that all the time and they know it's good for them but they also don't really believe it's that important <laughs> because yeah. it's so it's so kind of like woo woo like it doesn't seem like it's really hard evidence but there's actually so much evidence yeah. uh, for all these things so I think it's a great place to start mm -hmm. and yeah and the, the thing with like stress is also that you don't really notice it until it has like a really bad effect and your body kind of gets used to it so if you are chronically stressed out then it becomes like you're normal and uh, it's, yeah. like, it's like normal for you to be just anxious and uh, stressed out without knowing like what's it actually be to uh, yeah. be, be relaxed and uh, like this meditative yeah absolutely i think a lot of people especially you know even like my kids like, i feel like they have a hard time um, just sitting still and like, you know, just relaxing. Like, you know, if you, if you have, they have five minutes, they get their reach their for their phone to their iPads mm -hmm. or their TV or, and that's, that's true of all of us. I think we're, we're, it's so hard for us to just be completely still and not be doing a thousand things at once. But, but that's, is something very important that we have to figure out how to get back to that at least yeah. sometimes. 
Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, you know, hormone optimization, it definitely links with uh, sexual optimization. And that's what you talk about as well. So what kind of problems do, do people mostly have when it comes to like sexual performance? Uh, so for men, it's the most common thing I see is erectile dysfunction. And that's something that, you know, can start at any time, but especially becomes more prevalent after age 40. Uh, although I, you know, I see men in their 20s and 30s who have ED as well. But certainly with age, it becomes more, more common. Um, up to about 40% of men over the age of 40 will have some degree of erectile dysfunction. Um, and that's, you know, there's lots of reasons for that. But the most common cause is just you know, lack of blood flow. The blood, the blood is not getting there. And that's oftentimes partially due to atherosclerosis and inflammation in the blood vessels, as well as inflammation in the, in the, the penis itself and the cells that are there, um, causing the blood to not stay there. So that's the most common thing for men. And then for women, it's actually much, much more variable. Um, female sexual dysfunction really could be everything from low interest in sex and low libido to arousal problems, to orgasmic problems, to pain syndrome. So for women, or, or it could be all, you know, any of the above. Um, so I see patients in both of those types of patients and, and certainly a lot of those problems become more common with age uh, because of hormonal changes, because of uh, changes to the cardiovascular system um, and, and, and many other things that can make uh, sexual function more of a problem. Mm -hmm. And uh, how would you go about uh, solving it <laughs> besides, just, <laughs> besides optimizing the hormones? So the hormones is one piece, and that's kind of one of my, I have sort of a six piece uh, in, in my head, at least six piece plan for, for looking at that. But so one of them is the hormones. One of them is, is just generally taking care of your body. Uh, and that one, you know, is, is things we already talked about, because if you, if you have um, any kind of systemic diseases that are going to increase your risk for um, cardiovascular disease, heart, you know, heart attacks, strokes, things like that, all those are going to also increase your risk for sexual problems. So whether, you know, that's diabetes, smoking, being overweight, sedentary lifestyle style, um, you know, all those kind of things are going to increase your risk for, for erectile dysfunction, especially uh, in men, but also for, for, for problems in women. Um, so just being healthy is another one. Um, and then the, the, other, the other one I talk about a lot that's really important and people don't know about is increasing, uh, increasing and maintaining your nitric oxide levels. Mm -hmm. which you, you probably know about, but uh, nitric oxide uh, you know, goes down as every year as you get older. And so by the time you're 40, your, your levels are about half of what they were when you were 20. And it's the main chemical messenger that is responsible for vasodilation or opening up your blood vessels so the blood can get to a, you know, a certain area of your body. So if you think about like an erection uh, for men, you have to have this nitric oxide to be able to get the blood into the penis to stay there to have the erection. So it's a, it's a key element of an erection. And men don't, aren't able to make as much as they get older because of the uh, dysfunction of the cells that line the blood vessel that make the nitric oxide. So one of the things, you, there's several things you can do. Exercise, you can increase it. Red light therapy can increase it or sunlight can increase it. Uh, and then eating foods that are high in nitrates so things like green leafy vegetables and, and beets and pomegranate and chocolate, um, they, are, they all have the ability to be made into nitric oxide in your body as long as you don't use antiseptic mouthwashes or acid blocking, take acid blocking medications because both of those things will stop your body's ability to make nitric oxide from food. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like uh, I definitely heard like that the beetroot uh, is uh, like really good uh, for, for the blood flow and such. 
Yep. Yeah. And, then, and that's all a nitric oxide mediated process. And that's, you know, that's beetroot's also good for exercise because again, you're increasing your blood flow to your muscles. It's also good for, you know, several other things, but when we talk about sexual, fun sexual function, that's a, a key thing. Um, and then the other things that people can do, um, there are a lot of different things you can do through with physicians. Uh, like you can use, you know, things like regenerative therapies, like platelet rich plasma or stem cell therapies, depending on where you live in the world, um, can be helpful is, you know, injections that we can do into the the sexual organs for both men and women, um, as well as things like shockwave therapy for men, which can help with erections and um, vaginal vaginal lights and lasers and such, which can help with women. So there are actually quite a few tools out there, um, some of which you go to a doctor for, some of which you can do on your own to try to maintain uh, optimal sexual functioning as you get older. Hmm. Is that like the uh, gain, gain wave, gains wave protocol that I've heard about? Yes, yes. It's a, in the United States, Gainswave is a company that has a has a protocol for shockwave therapy that is pretty well known. Um, but you know, but outside the United States, shockwave therapy is also used, and people just don't know about it as much. Um, but it's you know, it's been around for ten or so years just for treating erectile dysfunction, and basically just uses high intensity sound waves that are delivered by this sort of handheld device um, in an office setting. It's about twenty minute kind of non-painful procedure and uh, you just get one of these treatments and you do usually a series of them like six to eight 12 or so treatments uh, and it can make a huge difference in erections as far as you know strength lasting power refractory period sensitivity all kinds of things it's, it's actually i think one of the best tools that we have uh, now for men who are suffering from any kind of ed issues mm -hmm. yeah and uh yeah and again like some of the basics would be just to lose a weight and uh, uh get right. in shape that would be like also like the quick win absolutely you know even walking like there's a, there's a lot of evidence a lot of studies that have showed that men who walk frequently you know multiple miles a day or you know whatever how many mm -hmm. steps a day they have a, a much lower risk of erectile dysfunction of erectile dysfunction than men who don't walk frequently mm -hmm. so you don't have to necessarily be you know doing insane workouts to get benefits from this you just have to be active mm -hmm. yeah and one question that i do get asked like quite often is like uh whether you know uh either tight underwear or like you know saunas or just uh he overheating the testicles does that affect like the sperm count and uh, the testosterone uh, the tight underwear definitely can have an effect on sperm count. Um, I don't know if it does on testosterone. I haven't seen that, but certainly it can on, on sperm count and fertility. And that's one of the things that, you know, fertility doctors will say uh, in the beginning is make sure you're wearing, you know, boxers or, or similar instead, uh, you know, riding your bike for long periods of time is something else that can mm -hmm. affect uh, both testosterone production and, and, uh, and fertility. So anything that's compressing that area, I don't think, I'm not sure about saunas. I've never seen anything about saunas, um, but anything that's kind of compressing that area is, it, you know, could cause problems. Uh, usually they're reversible. You just got to stop whatever you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, I would, I would say that you know the the idea behind saunas is that because it's so hot and uh, you can, you know, if if you think that maybe like you know tight underwear can have like a similar effect by just overheating uh, the testicles, uh, but I would think that the sauna would have the net positive effect would be higher because you're gonna just increase the blood flow and uh, release growth hormone and other sort of you know, beneficial things that happen in the sauna. Yeah, I, I think that's probably true. I mean, I haven't seen it studied specifically, but I also haven't seen reports of, you know, low testosterone because of because of saunas. Yeah. I think in general, they're probably pretty beneficial. Yeah. Uh, one thing I definitely wanted to talk about were like stem cells. Uh, so can you give like the people an overview of like how do they work and what are like some of the benefits? 
So stem cells are, you know, everyone already has, you already have a ton of stem cells in your body. They're the, the kind of the master cells of your body. Uh, you have stem cells in every, every you know, tissue and organ in your body. And they're the cells that are responsible for the upkeep of that organ. So for instance, if you cut your skin on your arm, uh, it's the stem cells that live nearby, um, it, near those blood vessels that are basically going to send out signals and say, hey, we just cut our skin. We need to repair it. And it sends out all these different signals to say, we need some more blood flow in here. We need to make some more collagen. We need to, you know, essentially repair this area so you have those kind of stem cells all over your body They're, they can replicate themselves and they can restore the tissue if it gets damaged or injured in some way um, and but as we get older unfortunately we we make we have fewer stem cells in most parts of our body and then the ones that we have that are there they just don't work as well they're not as active um, so some things that, that are being done right now and part of this depends on where you live um, and, and there's a lot of regulatory issues with it but basically mm -hmm. The, the idea is you can take stem cells um, from somewhere else in the person's body. So for instance, if I took your stem cells, I could take some, a little bit of fat, maybe if you have some fat, like in your love handle area, um, or maybe take some bone marrow from you. And because you have, those are, those are areas of high stem cell, they, they have tons of stem cells. So we could take those, a little bit of fat, we could get the stem cells isolated, and then you can put those stem cells back somewhere else where maybe they could, they could create um, positive changes. So you can put them back like in a knee that needs to be repaired. Or for me, I use them for, um, you know, skin rejuvenation. I use them for hair restoration. I use them for um, improving sexual function. But wherever you put them, what they do is they essentially uh, send out the same signals, growth factors, cytokines, things like that, to tell the cells that are already in that tissue that they need to start repairing and regenerating um, that tissue. So it, it's, it's a way to improve the repair mechanism um, of the tissue wherever you put it in your body, whether it's your joints or, you know, your penis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have I have heard of it, like quite uh, fascinating stories about it. And uh, people do uh, say that it's like uh, the future in, in a lot of ways that the pe people are just going to be able to uh, mitigate a lot of the negative side effects of aging, whether that be, you know, related, related to bone density or just that uh, general uh, functioning. I agree. I think that, I think that you know, there's tons of studies and, and work being done in stem cells right now. Um, it's one of those things that I think we'll, we'll continue to hear more and more about because there's so many different applications from, you know, you can grow, they're growing organoids, you know, little organs in the lab now, um, which is a whole different thing than what I do. But, you know, they're using stem cells, the idea that you have these cells that are actually capable of replicating and making more of themselves in a way that most cells are not, um, using those cells to help repair our bodies, it makes total sense. And I think we'll definitely be see more and more of that yeah yeah uh, how long do the like the effects of a single session last are they like more permanent or more like short term yeah, they're, they're not going to be permanent. Uh, part of it depends on what's going on with the person. So for instance, if you have um, a person who has knee pain and maybe you do some stem cells, like my partner, Dr. Adelson, who does a lot of these treatments, he'll do a single injection of stem cells. And, and that, that may be enough to um, repair the injury and that, you know, it's gone and that person is fine. They don't need anything else. Um, but on the other hand, uh, like for instance, your skin, if I inject stem cells in your skin, you're still going to continue to have damage from the sun and damage from toxins and damage from aging and all these things still happening as you get older. So within a couple of years, uh, you know, the benefits are, have generally worn off because, because the aging process has, has sort of won out. So, you know, in, in, in general, I tell people that they're, they're probably good for a year or two uh, as far as their, their benefits, but it really depends on what else you're doing to, to stay healthy and to kind of slow that aging process down. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, 
they're not going to work in the long term if you're not going to fix your lifestyle first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or even the short term. I mean, you know, certain patients don't have good results. And some, you know, part of that, it could be because they're, they're just not very healthy. You know, it, for instance, I don't even do stem cell procedures in patients that are actively smoking um, because they mm. don't heal very well and they don't tend to have very good results. And so I don't want to waste their money uh, or my time mm. in doing these kind of procedures. And so I just tell them, you know, I would love to see you, but please stop smoking first. And then, you know, for, you know, for like several months and, and know that it's going to stick. And then we can do these procedures that will have a lot better chance of actually working. Yeah, that's, that's good. Good practice. Uh, what about uh, peptides? Uh, these uh, other different compounds like PPC 157 and those. Yeah, I've just started experimenting with the peptides. Um, I don't personally do a lot of musculoskeletal pain. So BP, BPC 157 uh, is not something that I'm using a lot of, although I have, I have used it myself um, for, you know, hurt shoulders and things like that. Um, I think it's, it's really interesting. I've also been experimenting with, with some peptides for hair restoration, uh, for skin, you know, skin rejuvenation and some things like that, even for sexual function. Um, the, the PT-141, which it just got FDA approval recently uh, for women, you know, was a peptide for at first, it was an injectable peptide to, to help with, um, with libido and sexual function. So I think peptides are fascinating. It's just one of those things that it's, it's so difficult because there are hundreds of them or maybe more, I don't even know how many, and and there's limited there's a couple of studies you know here and there on each one generally but there's just not tons of information so it's, as a doctor i'm always a little a little bit concerned about about just injecting these random things into yeah. my body or my patient's bodies because we don't really know they're, you know, they're a drug just like right. any other drugs we just don't really know what they're all, all they're going to do downstream effects and things like that mm. yeah as i understand like a lot of them are like created by your own body endogenously like like growth hormone and there's you know ppc 157 which mm -hmm. is also like some sort of a uh excreted or secreted by your gut as i understand yeah yeah that's what i understand too and i think that's true but even still even if it's made by your own body it doesn't mean it's safe you know, right. you know in higher doses and for everyone and at different times so i think that they're really cool i definitely follow along and i'm trying to learn more about them but i think you know at the same time i I discourage people from just going to, you know, an online peptide sort yeah. of research someplace and, and like, you know, ordering up six vials and just giving it a shot yeah. because they are actually drugs. And unless you're really monitoring yourself really closely and checking your labs and checking your heart rate and your blood sugar and, you know, all the parameters um, to know how you're actually doing, I think that you just got to be careful. Yeah, you definitely should like consult a doctor first and do it yes. with, with them together. Exactly. Uh, what about the skincare? You mentioned uh, you know different ways of improving your skincare. Um, so for skincare, I, I, you know a lot of things. The first thing I always tell people is to wear sunblock on their face every day, and, and that's you know I have a lot of these uh, sort of biohacker uh, people, patients, and and people I talk to, and they're like, ah, oh, we don't believe in sunblock. We want to get the sun, uh, and I always tell them that's 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 fine, but but the sun is the number one cause of aging of your skin um, by far. So if you want, if you if you're worried about your skin aging, if that's a concern, then then making sure that it's not getting a lot of sun is really important. So I like to do like mineral sunblocks that don't, that don't have chemicals that are going to get absorbed into your body. Um, so sunblock every day. And then, you know, it depends on the person. I, I, I think that retinoids are one of the better studied chemicals um, that we can use on our skin. And, and there's a lot of debate out there about retinoids and whether or not they're 
safe long term, but from what I've seen, they are and they've been well studied. So a good retinoid is really helpful. And then, you know, some good antioxidants like a vitamin C, a vitamin E um, topically or hyaluronic acid topically um, can be great. And then I also use the, the stem cells and the PRP, uh, feather rich plasma, um, on the skin as well and do things like microneedling where you're creating a little bit of mild trauma to the skin, which is going to help to repair itself, uh, you know, even better and brighter. Uh, but, you know, so skin, skin is one of those things that does require some, up, some upkeep, just like, mm -hmm. just like your body does. You actually have to think of it as something that, you know, may require, um, you know, investing in some, uh, some good skincare. It may require, you know, occasionally seeing a doctor and getting some, some treatments if you're interested in that kind of thing. Um, but there's actually so many things out there we can do for skin now. Mm -hmm. Uh, when it comes to the sun, like, uh, does it matter how much sun you get uh, in, you know, because like a lot of people don't really go outside anymore and uh, you know, their skin is somewhat sensitive to the sunlight because of like being yeah. not exposed to that much. So is it meant, is it like, is there like any dose specific uh, amount that is harmful or is it all that? <laughs> Well, when, you know, when it comes to your skin and your face, I, I think that pretty much all of it's not, not going to be helpful as far as aging goes. Mm -hmm. Now, in, you know, we, we obviously know that the sun is actually very good for our health in general in small doses and the right doses. And, and in fact, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the, the Swedish study a few years ago that basically came out and said that, that not getting sun uh, and, and staying indoors and being, you know, always wearing sunblock is as big a risk factor for all-cause mortality as smoking cigarettes. Wow. Uh, so the not getting sun is actually very dangerous and it increases your risk for all different kinds of cancers and diabetes and heart disease and and all different things so certainly you want to get sun um, but you want to get it in kind of low doses you don't want to get burned yeah. you know that's that's the thing with your skin a burn is essentially your skin saying that you you've caused dna damage you've caused mm. you know significant oxidative damage um, and that's what's going to be increasing your risk for skin cancers and things so you want to get sun but you don't want to get burned and that's yeah. that's true of your whole body and then i just am a little bit more careful with the face because you know every little bit of sun can can make it potentially make it age faster yeah yeah definitely like you know although something can be healthy and quote-unquote natural it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be uh, specifically you know beneficial for longevity or anti-aging or in the in the context of skin uh you know the appearance of the skin yeah exactly i think it's all it's all about you know the dose makes the poison right like it's <laughs> whether it's what how much water you drink or how much sun you get like there's everything can be done in, in, in excess and it could be become dangerous so you just have to you know be smart about it yeah uh what about collagen like that's a pretty hot topic at the moment it is um you know there's some research that in high like in relatively high doses when taken like orally that collagen can be helpful for skin although i think it's important to understand that you know if you for instance you drink a collagen drink it's not like you're drinking the collagen and all of a sudden that collagen is going straight to your face and all of a sudden your face is you know is 10 years younger it, it gets broken down into its into its um amino acids just like everything you eat and then if you are low in amino, those amino acids then you could use those amino acids you know to make collagen in your skin so it's, it's essentially it's really just the amino acids that you're that you may need, and if you don't have enough of them, can be helpful. Um, applying collagen topically to your skin is not is not helpful unless it's been broken down into little bitty sort of peptide uh, pieces, because the collagen itself is too big to get absorbed by your skin. Um, so there are some formulations out there where they've kind of broken it down into little bite-sized bits <laughs> that can get in through the skin barrier. Um, and I think collagen can certainly be helpful. I don't think that it's, I think it's, I think most people who are taking it are probably not taking the types of doses that are actually studied as far as, as far as improving the skin. But there's a lot of anecdotal stories of people who swear by it. And if, if you feel like it works for you, then I'm all for it.
Yeah, and uh, definitely the source of the product has to be really good because if you do take the collagen from, let's say, like some sort of a collagen powder, but the powder itself has like all these other artificial uh, sweeteners or chemicals, then it's probably not going to be beneficial. It's going to counterbalance the effect. If it, yeah, if it has a sweetener in it for sure, because all you're doing is basically adding, you know, if you add, the sugar is one of the worst things, you know, for your skin, the glycation from sugar basically breaks up collagen and, and makes it kind of sticky and makes it um, not, not functional. So, so certainly uh, eating sugar in your collagen is going to be a bad, bad call. Yeah, that's for sure. And, you know, the natural collagen, we would get it from uh, primarily these tendinous meats and, uh, you know, the ligaments and those sort of, you know, bone broth products. Uh, mm-hmm. do, do, do you recommend taking like bone broth or something? Yeah, I do. I have a lot of, I mean, I, I have a lot of patients who like bone broth, especially people who have um, like autoimmune disorders or inflammatory, you know, diseases of some sort that I think can be really, can, that bone broth can be really beneficial for those people, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like the easy, easy, quick uh, collagen. Right, uh, right. And uh, lastly, I wanted to talk about some hair as well. Uh, what's, you know, a lot of uh, males especially may suffer from like male pattern baldness and uh, hair loss. So uh, what's what's the solution for that? <laughs> well, the first answer is, unfortunately, there's still no perfect solution. Um, certainly, there are things that can help. And if you do them all together, that's what I tell patients. It's like, you know, do them. If you really care about keeping your hair or, or regrowing hair, you have to do multiple things. So with male pattern baldness, it's usually a problem of a DHT sensitivity at the hair follicle. So testosterone gets made into dihydrotestosterone um, by, a, by a hormone or an enzyme called 5-alpha-reductase. This just happens with everyone. But some men, uh, their hair follicle is very sensitive to that DHT hormone. And when it gets contact with it, it essentially makes the hair follicle uh, sort of, you know, eventually fall out, makes it unhealthy, makes it fall out. So there are a few ways you can do it. You can block that hormone. Um, and that's where like Propecia and Finasteride and drugs like that come in, uh, which are prescription drugs, um, but can be helpful for blocking that hormone. Um, there are obviously topicals like, you know, minoxidil and things, but there, and there are some, now some peptides out there that, that we're trying, that I'm trying, um, like the PTD DBM, which is one that I just started having, uh, had some patients on to see if that will help. Um, and then using things like PRP, where we inject quite rich plasma from the patient into the scalp to try to, to try to sort of stimulate those hair follicles or injecting stem cells um, or exosomes or other kind of products like that. Where we're essentially trying to uh, con- kind of contact that follicle and, and activate it uh, can be helpful. Uh, and then red light therapy, you know, the red light mm. therapy caps, uh, I think are great. And I, I recommend any patient who is doing other things for their hair to also invest in a red light therapy um, cap uh, or similar so that they're getting that as well, because that, that actually has a lot of utility too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I, um, some females also uh, experience hair loss, uh, especially when they are going through some sort of high stress or something. Uh, does stress mm-hmm. gonna have like an effect on uh, hair loss? Yeah, absolutely. So women, hair loss in women is a lot more complicated, uh, just like female hormones are more complicated <laughs> because it's, it can be from DHT. So it can be that same kind of androgenic alopecia that men get, um, but it also can be from all different things. So yes, stress is a big one for women. Um, any kind of hormonal changes, you know, post-childbirth or, or pre-menopause or menopause or, you know, basically any kind of hormonal changes can do it. Um, you know, pulling your hair back and ponytails too tight can do it. Mm. Medications can do it. Um, there are there are actually a number of medications and, and, and uh, such that are associated with hair loss. So, at thyroid lack of you know thyroid function or lack mm. of uh, optimal thyroid function, low iron is something else in women that we that we see as a cause of hair loss. So, so the list of things that can cause hair loss in women is 
is pretty long and certainly involves, you know, you want to go to the doc a doctor who knows about hair loss, who can do, you know, some lab tests, some blood tests uh, and things like that to see if there are some of the obvious things that are causing it and then work on stress. And then all, and then you can jump to some of these other therapies um, like the PRP or the red light therapy or the, you know, the topical uh, peptides and such, because, because those can help, but only if you kind of get to the root of the problem also. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, it's been great talking with you in a sense that we, I feel like we could definitely like make a se <laughs> se separate podcast episode for each of these topics. Uh, but I, uh, but, but uh, I would like to keep it like a, as an introductionary uh, kind of episode. So uh, before I ask my last question, uh, where can people learn more about you and your work? So I am pretty, I'm pretty active on Instagram. Uh, Dr. Amy B. Killen is my Instagram. And I try to post you know, educational things as well as just dumb pictures of me doing weird things um, on Instagram. I also have a website, which I have several websites, but one of them is uh, dramykillen.com. Um, and that's probably the easiest place to get a hold of me if you have questions or, or um, want to learn about you know, things that, that we do in our offices or, or things like that. And mm -hmm. uh, we're going to put all the links in the uh, show notes. And uh, my last question is, uh, what's this one piece of advice or a habit you wish you adopted sooner? Ooh, I wish I, I had had a sort of strong um, yoga mindfulness practice when I was younger. I've been doing it now for about five years. Uh, and, I, and it's really changed so much about the way that I handle stress and the way that I handle you know, my life. Uh, I wish that I'd had that back you know, mm -hmm. during medical school and residency and when I had my, my kids and they were little and, and stress, you know, stressing me all the time. So I would say, you know, yoga and mindfulness is the thing that I, I most, I most wish I had done. Yeah. 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 It's a pretty uh, popular answer. And uh, yeah, I would also agree that if you are, you know, experienced with meditation, then uh, everything else kind of becomes easier and uh, you become less stressed out by the, like the small, small stuff that happen on a daily basis. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah. yeah well thanks for coming to the podcast and uh, we will probably have to do like another one in the future sometime that sounds awesome well thank you so much have a good rest of your day do you want to know what it is body mind empowerment get stronger faster smarter quicker friendlier more helpful more driven everything the body needs control your mind